Today's session, we're going to begin with a conversation with Egosa Omagui, Managing Partner of ECHOVC. Egosa, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very glad to be here. Well, let's get to know each other and let's get you introduced to our audience. Tell us about ECHOVC. Tell us about yourself. What, uh, you know, what have you been up to and, and what is ECHOVC? Uh, sure, thanks. Um, so, yeah, my name is Agosa, and I'm managing partner and founder of EchoVC. We are a seed and early stage uh, venture capital firm focused on making investments in technology and technology-enabled startups that have a primary market focus in Africa. And so, these firms may may be everywhere around the world. We've done investments in in different geographies. Uh, but the primary uh, theme of their business models and their targeted products and services uh, would, be Af- would be Africa. So what we essentially posit is that we finance Africa-focused entrepreneurial inspiration. And how big is the fund? So we are in the process of raising our second fund now. Our first fund, uh, which was five years ago, had $16.5 million in initial commitments. And uh, that was focused on seed and early stage. And then uh, halfway through that, uh, through, the, through the last five years, we entered into a strategic partnership with TPG Growth and mm-hmm. uh, later on TPG Rise Fund. And so we manage uh, their Africa small check platform uh, mm-hmm. for them, which essentially gives us the ability to write much bigger checks. Okay. Very interesting. How did you get into this uh, business of investing in Africa? What's, what path did you follow in your career? Well, I've had a somewhat non-traditional career. So if anyone tells you that you have to wear Cheetos and, and a denim shirt and get a Stanford MBA and end up being a VC, and precisely the counterpoint to that. Uh, I, I was raised in Nigeria, um, you know, graduated as a lawyer, started actually, started out my career as an oil and gas lawyer as well as a corporate lawyer, uh, mm-hmm. then, you know, moved to the U.S. to go to school in Western Pennsylvania, um, did a degree in corporate law and finance, and um, did a whole bunch of different things, worked in startup, worked as a consultant, worked in a law firm, and I ended up at Intel Capital, which then um, was the largest corporate venture capital firm in the world. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be there for about 10 years, um, and mm-hmm. I did a variety, I a variety of roles, um, which I think have contributed to, to everything I am today. Uh, but I did everything from you know, you know, venture capital legal, portfolio management legal, uh, mm-hmm. you know, IP, IP purchasing, patent purchasing, um, mm-hmm. bankruptcy and restructuring, uh, as well as investing in consumer internet mobile. I also led the investing activity in semantic technologies, uh, which covered the, 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 the umbrella of artificial intelligence, machine learning, computer vision, and augmented reality. Great. And then I, so, uh, I, I left Intel in 2010, and then I started ECOVC the year after that. Terrific. So, uh, Egosa, I'm personally deeply interested in Africa and what's happening in Africa and so forth. So, um, 
I would like to have asked you to first start us out with some broad trends on what are entrepreneurs doing in Africa, what kinds of businesses are they building, and what are which of those are actually attracting investment? And then we'll come to your specific investments in a moment. Sure. So I think when 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 I started this process, um, so I give you the very quick, you know, broad strokes of how how this this activity started. So Intel Capital uh, was operating in probably about 34, 35 countries, uh, not Intel, mm-hmm. Intel Capital, and you know, and had several hundred people supporting the activity. So what what I learned from 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 being part of of that of that group was that innovation happened everywhere, and mm-hmm. and it was broadly distributed, and but it could be very localized in terms of its of its impact as well as global. And so I, I left Intel, Intel Capital um, with, with a hypothesis that, that the next generation of underserved uh, sort of investing activity would occur in underserved emerging markets. Yeah. And so I, I decided that it made sense to look at those emerging markets. And I ended up picking Southeast Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa, in part because they seem to me to be very highly correlated. And mm-hmm. part of the recognition was that you had very similar sort of signals in these markets that suggested that they would, they would sort of evolve essentially in the same way, but more importantly, uh, would represent sort of larger opportunities for venture-style returns. And, mm-hmm. and so I went out to pick those two markets. I had no luck because everybody thought I was insane. Those two markets were completely uninteresting, you know, in 2011. Um, but, but I then decided that, you know, I was not going to quit. And so I picked one of those markets, which was Sub-Saharan Africa, and I, and I went into that. Now, why was Sub-Saharan Africa interesting as, 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 was, um, as was, you know, Southeast Asia? Was that I, you know, those, those two markets represented in many sectors, uh, ranging from consumer to business to education to healthcare to government to finance and fintech to agriculture represented very significant opportunities for digital reinvention. And so with that as a backdrop, you know, what we spent time looking for was key drivers to support that, that thesis that there was going to be, there was going to be a real opportunity for digital reinvention. And the market, so it's only Africa sort of represents a few, you know, sort of suggests and shows a few key drivers. One is that Africa tends to be much younger demographics-wise. Um, you know, Nigeria, for instance, 200 million people, uh, 70% of whom are, uh, are under 30. Uh, Uganda, for instance, is, you know, you know this is arguably 85% are in, in, in their teens or less. Um, so there were, you know, much much younger demographically skewed. Uh, you found very significant, very rapid mobile broadband adoption, certainly the fastest growing in the world. You saw more increased investments in the internet and internet-enabled infrastructure. Um, and I think the real big 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 mover was the affordability of connected devices. So mm-hmm. you know, grateful for all the players in the ecosystem that have consistently driven innovation at increasingly lower prices. And so what yeah. then what that enabled was that you found these new markets that could leapfrog 
um, you know, through, through the distribution of both connectivity as well as the devices. And, and so, so Africa sort of represents the coalition of those key drivers. And if you now step back and said, what were the mega trends that were more applicable to, to African, African markets? Um, one was that mobile platforms were reshaping distribution and consumption paradigms very dramatically. And I'll talk about the yeah. more specific things like services and M-Pesa. Um, you know, you saw, you know, you saw a real opportunity to refactor financial services versus disrupt yeah. them because there's a lot more fragility on the continent. So you have to do more refactoring and less disruption. Um, yeah. And then I think the most important thing was that you, you like Africa represented in our view as a manager, um, significantly large iceberg microeconomies. And what I call, I would call them iceberg microeconomies was that there's always sort of a lot of the big investors always think about macro, um, but a lot of these markets have these lurking microeconomies and they're icebergs because nearly all of these microeconomies lie beneath the surface. And so mm -hmm. when you apply mm -hmm. some of the key drivers, demographics, technology, um, broadband, internet infrastructure, and you apply that to these big mega trends, uh, there were interesting things you could do with technology, whether it was, you know, right, you know, rise of mobile, you know, digital marketplaces, you know, you know, doing education technology at at real scale, uh, being able to deliver high octane, you know, ag tech related, you know, disruption. So fundamentally, to tying that all together, it, you know, Africa represented for us um, the next big thing, and, and that continues to be the case. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about the let's talk about the view of the company. Maureen, somebody is so, screaming. Screaming. Echo. I'm sorry. Okay, I'm gonna try again. Okay, go ahead. Maureen, can you mute the line that is generating echoes? I think it's Luis's line that is generating echoes. It's really annoying. That's fine. But I can hear you now. I mean, no pun intended. There's an echo on the line. That's hilarious. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what That's I was going to take examples of um, companies that you have invested in from your first fund, maybe, so we get a feel for what kind of things you've been investing in in the past, and, and also to get a feel for what is happening in Africa and what kinds of businesses are being built. So, so we can do, you know, two, three, four examples and, and take us into what did they have when they came to you? How did they come to you, and, and what you know? What is it about these companies that struck you as possibilities of you know really building interesting, exciting ventures uh, in the long long run? Sure. So we, we've invested in uh, in over twenty companies um, from seed, early stage, all the way to early growth, and I'll pick a couple of them and sort of you know use them as examples of why they were interesting and you know why we did them. So first of all, as a backup, you know, what we what we thought about and talked about at length um, is how to 
to create investment thesis to, to, to you know, that sort of support the investing activity. And so we have four investment thesis that we've talked about internally, but this will be the first time I think we're sharing them out, outside. Um, mm -hmm. One of them is mm -hmm. that there's a recognition that in many sub-markets within Africa, almost all the economic activity was offline and continues to be offline. And so there was a very large opportunity in our view which you were, um, through which you could build some very defensible moats where you could organize the offline and you then bring the, and you then bring the offline online. And so one example of that uh, that we invested in at the seed stage uh, was a company called, it's a company called Printivo. And so Printivo is a lot like what people would recognize like a Vista print or Printy and the like. And so what they've done mm -hmm. is organize the print sector um, but they, they did some very interesting and unique things in the business model and in, in the actual sort of user experience that we found particularly compelling. One of them mm -hmm. was that they, 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 they recognized that print was not just a very simple online service, which is you come online, you order your print, and it gets delivered. But that print represented more of a community of, of interest and of activity and of participants. So graphic designers, offline printers, the consumers. And so what Printivo did was to build a marketplace that looked more like a community and less like a marketplace. And, um, and they've done remarkably well since we invested in them. They're, they, you know, and for almost you know, you know, no money invested, um, you know, less, yes, a bit less than a billion dollars, um, they have, they have, uh, they're profitable. And, um, and, you know, it's a classic example of, of, of a great entrepreneurial team, you know, you know be, uh, delivering, uh, you know, real product market fit. Um, mm -hmm. We also have another thesis mm -hmm. that we call lubricants. And we, we actually use that to define products and services, you know, for these markets, the Africa-focused markets, again, with the recognition that there's a very significant amount of friction in day-to-day -day life. And for, you know, for folks who sort of operate in the U.S. or, or, in, or in Europe, um, there are many things though, that we're taking for granted that don't exist in, 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 in all the South African markets. And so friction sort of really creates, you know, you know inhibits a lot of the efficiencies that we, we come to take for granted in other markets. And so what we, what we have thought about was how to think about, about these types of markets, lubricants, and so one of the things that we like uh, has been, you know, removing friction. So we invested, and this is a sort of somewhat, you know, late stage, late stage company. Actually, actually, you know what? I'll use the, 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 the early stage company because it's interesting. So we, we invested in a company called Easy Shop, Easy Cook. Um, we're actually very proud of the very random thing, which is that we probably have one of the um, deepest portfolios of women-founded tech startups in Africa. Uh, so we're very mm -hmm. excited about that. But this is one of them, um, and the entrepreneur essentially, you know, has created a supply chain optimization uh, approach to farm to last mile. So organizing mm -hmm. sort of fresh food, fresh produce, right, and then delivering that, processing that, and then delivering that to the end consumers, whether they're businesses or consumers. And and the friction that that you know what that what in eliminating a lot of the friction in that process. You know, one of the key advantages has been the fact that that the economics to the producers is much better now, and then the value and the convenience to the consumers and the businesses on the other end is dramatically better as well. So that has worked. Mm -hmm. um, we did a company. We just announced an investment in a company called World Cover, 
Uh, we did that last week. We announced it last week. And that's InsureTech. It's the first InsureTech-related investment. And, mm-hmm. um, and WorldCover is, has built a, a very simple product for, and, 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 and platform, but the first product is essentially to address climate risk as applies to smallholder farmers. And this is, mm-hmm. this is gonna be a global, right? Because it's, you know, it's, 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 it's good in Africa, it's good in India, it's good in Latin America. But they're operating in Africa right now. And, and fundamentally, there was a recognition that farmers were making decisions around what to plant, where to plant, how to plant, um, based on sort of risk, but no one ever framed it in that way. And so one of the key drivers of decisions around, about, about planting is about weather risk. And so WorldCover built a product that essentially neutralizes the you know, weather risk. And, 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 and it's a very simple product, and we like that a lot. Um, it is growing quite quickly, and the farmers are becoming, you know, very comfortable with sort of thinking about risk and, and, and premium-related coverage. Um, mm. and, 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 you know, and then the final thing is we've thought about these markets, you know, and, you know, I, I talked a little bit earlier on about the demographic lift in these markets and how young the market skewed. So education is a very significant issue. These markets are growing very quickly. Um, yeah. You know, Nigeria, yeah. I believe, Nigeria, I believe, is adding 26,000 babies every day. And so, you know, education and how you sort of create a pathway to, to household lift is a key part of this. And so we invested in a company called Kukua, which is out of the UK and Nairobi. And what they built is a platform for early age education um, mm-hmm. meets STEM. And so, you know, it, 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 it highlights, you know, you know the, the, essentially there's a, there's, a, there's a heroine called, you know, Sema. She has all these superpowers and, uh, and she loves STEM. And, um, you know, and so what that builds is the ability to learn, you know, in a manner that works is, you know, and, is, you know, and essentially for, I think, for, 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 for African children and, you know, African descent children, um, you start to sort of get introduced to these concepts very early, and it can be delivered in sort of bite-sized modules by, by, by mobile phone, by TV, but very, you know, very different channels. So these are sort of how we've thought about the investments. Um, we're very fortunate to have, have made, you know, been able to partner with, with the companies that we've invested in and continue to be very active in, in thinking broadly around inclusion, uh, in, in thinking broadly around healthcare, we invest in a company called LifeBank that's optimizing the supply chain for access to blood and blood products. Again, another woman-led company. We invest in Grow Intelligence, which might be the largest agricultural data analytics uh, platform in the world. Again, led by a woman. All right. So, so we've got we've got we've got we've got an amazing portfolio. Um, but what's interesting as well is that you know we're beginning to see more companies coming out of Africa that have a shot at being global companies. Great. I have a few questions based on what you said. The first of which is, um, uh, what are the backgrounds of these entrepreneurs? Have they been, have they grown up in Africa? Have they been educated in Africa? Did they leave and come back? What, what trends are you seeing in the entrepreneurs who are coming up with these concepts and businesses? That's a good question. So what we find 
what we find consistently, or what, what, let me see, let me rephrase that. When we started this process, uh, when everybody was like, Africa, there's nothing there, and you're insane, and we don't know why you're going there, um, it was just bone dry, right? Very few people sort of were doing anything, you know, with tech and tech-enabled products. Um, then, you know, a year or two after we got there, then, you know, we started seeing more activity from the incubators in the U.S. And, um, and so what we found consistently with, I think, a lot of the foreign investors who right, sort of, you know, who were investing in, in Africa is that they, they tended to skew initially to, to entrepreneurs that looked like them or had backgrounds like them. Right, and so if you had, if you were coming in, you had sort of the degrees from U.S. schools or you know U.K. schools or the like, you know that was sort of how you got in. Uh, but slowly but steadily, you know, I, I still remember when Steve and Gene Case came to Lagos, and um, we hosted them, and 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 Gene turned around and asked me like, you know, she was something she noticed. She said, you know, now she's meeting all these entrepreneurs who went to HBS or or MIT, who's investing in the local founders, and I was like, we are. And, you know, and the truth was that we, we, we did and we continue to recognize that a lot of these local founders had maybe a better high-resolution understanding of the local dynamics uh, yes. to operate in yes. friction. Um, and, 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 and that was always sort of interesting to us. But we've also found that, um, you know, we have founders who are not necessarily African but care deeply about the continent have been on the continent, they've lived there, they've worked there, and want mm-hmm. to make changes there. Um, so, so our portfolio is quite, is quite broadly diverse. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's mostly African founders, uh, but we also, have, you know, we also have European and, and American founders as well. Okay. And uh, what about countries? Uh, you talk about Africa as a whole. What are the granular trends in the different countries within Africa? Well, I, I think from, from our perspective, a lot of the initial activity um, sort of in the startup ecosystem was probably initially concentrated in sort of South Africa and, and East Africa, most, most importantly Kenya. Um, those two markets seem to have uh, I think a lot of velocity around being able to attract expats, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and 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 of course that also, you know, had offered a lot more liquidity in terms of being able to access angel funding and the like. Um, but over the last five years, um, I would probably say that you know Nigeria has become sort of the undisputed center, and sort of the more mm-hmm. startup activity. Nigeria also represents the largest market in an yeah. in, 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 in people perspective. Um, I believe one in six black people in the world is Nigerian. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so, so, you know, it, it continues to represent the market. But we like, uh, there are a bunch of countries in, in, in Africa we like for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, Nigeria, Ghana, you know, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, um, in spots, South Africa. South Africa is not underserved for many reasons. So, you know, we're sort of more opportunistic there. Um, but, you know, even Francophone Africa continues to be very interesting to us. We haven't done a lot of stuff there because of the language disconnect, but we're going to fix that this year. Um, and then we like North Africa as well. North Africa, is, you know, has always been interesting to us, but we're now beginning to see some real interesting companies. And, you know, and as, you know, as, you know, with the exit of Kareem, um, you know, people are now sort of pausing and saying, wait, that could, you, know, you could build a big company that way. 
And I think that's similar to sort of Jumia now going public. People are like, wait, you can be African, you know, however you want to define that, and you could build a billion-dollar business on the continent. That's interesting. And um, my last trend question is uh, B2B versus B2C. It sounds like it's largely a B2C entrepreneur pool. Is that a correct observation, or am I missing something? Actually, uh, it's the other way around. Okay. It's, it's the other way around. And, and, and I think that probably has some sort of correlation with, with the difficulties associated with access to capital. Uh, so what you find more entrepreneurs doing is they enter businesses where your, your path to revenue is much shorter okay, and your path good. to repeatable is short, right? So no one is going to give you three years of financing to go build out a customer base and not monetize them. That's not going to happen, right? Yeah. So, so, so that's the truth. So, I mean, it, you know, it then ends up being that, you know, there are very few sort of consumer-focused plays. Um, we've, we've, we've done a few, um, but, but many, many investors sort of shirk from that. Many investors are more interested in B2B or, you know, infrastructure, software infrastructure plays. Well, B2B is a lot more cost-effective to build than these large-scale consumer plays, although there's one factor that is still true in Africa is that, the, you know, the mobile advertising or Google AdWords, all this is still cheap. Um, which in other markets, other more developed markets, has become very expensive. So there is a way of being right. able to do online customer acquisition that is still affordable in Africa, which would not be true in America anymore, for example. Correct, except that, except that the market is mostly offline. And so mm-hmm. it was yeah. in recognition of that, and we realized two things. One was the market was still very largely offline, and 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 more importantly, the, the being able to create an advertising platform that would allow smaller, medium-sized businesses to advertise in their local environments was actually quite difficult. I mean, the yeah. opportunities were either in you know, newspapers, which are very expensive, or very large billboards, which are very expensive. So we invested in a company that is doing extremely well that essentially designed um, in conjunction with the supplier uh, you know, screens, wire, screens that were wirelessly enabled, and they got integrated mm-hmm. into gas station pumps, and they're now little tablets in retail stores, in, in, in cars, and they drive content and, 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 and commerce and, and, and advertising, you know, to these screens. And so okay. what that does now is it enables, you know, hyper-local advertising. Essentially, it's AdSense for the real world. Uh, right. So that's that's one of the very large opportunities that we felt and continue to feel um, has is 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 just it's a gigantic opportunity. And what is the um, well, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense actually. That's um, I was thinking more about um, your talk, your conversation about female founders. What what is driving that trend? So, you know, we don't know. I we're we're 40, 40, 45 percent women in the in my firm. Oh, maybe that helps. You know, um, you know, I, I I grew up in a household with uh, strong, smart, driven women, and and so that's sort of normal to me. And but um, it's normal to you in I, terms of 
proving to invest in them, but it looks like there's enough deal flow, enough female entrepreneur-led deal flow, which is which is really what I'm exploring more than the fact that yeah. you're investing in them. It feels, it feels, it feels to us that, that, that there is a deal flow. We, we have a lot of deal flow, right? We just, we're, you know, we're 13 people strong. I could be 20. I have enough deal flow to have a 20 person firm. So, so it, the, the deal flow is very significant. But I think what, what it is more importantly though, though, is that, um, so I'll, I'll, let me back up. So there's one interesting trend that we detected in our portfolio of women led firms. And that is that mm-hmm. every single one we've done is a, is a solo founder. Solo founder. Correct. Interesting. So it's not that we're looking for women solo founders, right? It's just, it's ending up like everybody in the portfolio is exactly that. And, you know, we've talked about it, you know, any specific reasons. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but, you know, it ends up that, you know, women founders in these markets, I mean, it's not to, that's not to denigrate how difficult it is for women founders in other markets to, 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 to get funding and to get going. But in, in a lot of these, you know, you know, a lot of these sub-Saharan African markets, what you're finding is that, you know, they, they run into chauvinism, they run into, you know, you know patriarchy, and they run into sort of cultural dissonance. Right, so there's all these expectations about what they should be doing, and you know, running a business should not be that. So I think by the time you find a woman founder who's gotten started and just doesn't have any quit in her, um, your chances of making some you know, significant returns on that woman founder just get much higher. And yeah. so you know, and what we're finding is that they start these businesses, you know, they start them based around problems they deeply care about problems that they focus on. They have some very important insights into those problems and, you know, are able yeah. to build solutions to solve those problems. So, so we are, we've continued to be really amazed by the quality of the founders that we, we, we've seen and we've invested in and continue to mm-hmm. be amazed. And, you know, one sort of interesting piece of feedback about that is that I, I got something that some, you know, one of the founders told me that one of the things that sort of made a difference to her was coming into our office sitting at a conference table and seeing all these women faces looking back at her. Good. And that just Very made good. it different. Right. Very so, good. but you know, we have some superstars. We're very happy with them and we will continue to invest in them. And uh, what is the Facebook penetration status or social media penetration status in Africa? Is that a customer acquisition channel that is viable? So I think Facebook, Facebook has grown quite nicely. I think in Nigeria, it's like 26 million now. I mean, a few years ago, there were like five, six, seven million. So it has grown quite nicely. And of course, the question, of course, is what is Facebook, right? Because Facebook is Facebook. Facebook is WhatsApp. And Facebook is WhatsApp. Instagram. Right? Yeah. So, so, you know, if you look at Facebook via WhatsApp, that's, that's, that's very significant. Of course, they haven't sort of, you know, really sort of monetized that. They slowly began to do that, starting with the work they're doing in, in you know, in India for WhatsApp for business. Um, yeah. But when you look at sort of the activity, Instagram, you know, is, you know, continues to be a very significant driver of activity and attention uh, in, in the African markets. And, um, you know, and, you know, it's probably the same thing in a lot of emerging markets. It represents a platform to showcase aspiration, whether or not it's genuine or not. And, um, but, but it, it certainly garners a lot of attention. 
So, mm-hmm. so Facebook as a, as an advertising channel works. Absolutely. Yeah. So where are you normally? Are you, your profile says you're in Los Gatos, but where are you normally? I, you know, I'm, I'm everywhere and nowhere. Uh, that sounds like a Game of Thrones <laughs> reference. I'm not sure. Um, so, so no, what I, 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 you know, there's a fair amount of travel in my world. Um, you know, we, you know, being in the U.S., the East Coast, I was, I was, uh, I was, I mean, just I was in New York, and before I'm in London today, I was in New York a few days ago. Before that, I was at the Milken Global Conference in in LA, um, and back in Lagos, and you know, this is you know, then you know, we're doing some stuff, you know, we're closing a couple of deals, uh, you know, in, in Nairobi right now. So you know, I could be anywhere and everywhere. So well, I'm a well, global. <laughs> Give me a call when or send me an email when you're back in Silicon Valley and let's have coffee. I would love to do that. All right. Well, thank you very much. This is very interesting. I, as I said, I'm personally fascinated by Africa and this whole explosion of um, you know, youth population in Africa and what is going to happen, how is Africa going to manage the education challenge of this population and so on and so forth. So I would love to continue the conversation and uh, thank you very much for coming today. Thank you for having me and thanks to Maureen for setting this up. I deeply appreciate it. Bye-bye.